0: for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way, and if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. We're going to go ahead and continue our series today. I'm actually ending our series today called The Secret Sauce, and we've talked about all sorts of stuff and um, uh, marriage and parenting and the secret sauce of different things. And so today, I, I'm struggling to put a title on what this is, so I'm gonna, we're going to talk about the secret sauce TBD. I don't really know how to call it anything else right now. And so we'll get into it, and I think it'll come out, as you see, uh, really focusing on the secret sauce of community today. 60% of Americans right now in our country are on some sort of medication uh, for depression in our country. Uh, there's an epidemic of depression and anxiety and stress overload and screen fatigue. Anybody else just screen fatigued? Um, just me. Okay, great to see you guys came this morning. I'm a participating pastor, so I need you to participate with me, even if you lie. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, um, but people today are living in isolation. Uh, we have more tools than ever to be connected, yet we're so isolated, even in the middle of a social media-driven generation, that there are people sitting behind computers and, and iPads and iPhones and the different social media platforms, and and they feel connected. But how many know you might have 1,500 friends on your Facebook, but you don't have 1,500 friends? How many know those folks are just people that 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 liked your your page and 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 over time? How many know that it's just there's there's moments where you feel lonely, you feel isolated, and God never intended for that. God never intended for us as humans to feel uh, isolated and disconnected. That He made us for each other. He made us for relationships, and um, doesn't matter what we were told in 2020, uh, whether we were told about being in isolation, and I think there was right precautions, but. At the end of the day, it created a void in our nation. It created a void in the church where there are people that will not even step foot back into a place that has a crowd because of the, 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 the onslaught of this message of isolation and isolating yourself. And, and last time I checked, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, isolation is what got us in trouble. You think it was just Eve giving in. No, it was isolation that got us in trouble. She was by herself. She was having a conversation with the enemy by herself because the enemy does his best work when we're in darkness. He does his best work when we're in isolation, when we we don't have somebody on our speed dial on our phones or our text messages that we can connect with in a way that brings us out of depression, that brings us out of anxiety, that heals our wounds, that, that allows us to deal with sin issues in our life. The Bible says to confess your fault one to another that you may be healed. Notice what it didn't say. It doesn't say confess your fault to God. It says confess your fault one to another. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you're to confess your fault one to another that you may be healed. Healing comes through relationships. And and, and the world has taught us that we're to live in this place of isolation. And, And honestly, it's a trick of the enemy. Ecclesiastes puts it this way. In Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse eight through 12, it says there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help them up. But pity anyone who falls, and no one is to help them, to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In other words, he, he's trying to communicate to us that connection is extremely important. Now, I don't know, I like to watch national, the, like, the, this, the, discover, like the, the animal shows, anybody else like watching animal shows? Anybody else like watching animal shows? Now, I watch animal shows not to learn about animals. I watch animal shows to watch animals eat other animals. Come on, somebody. And there's, this, there's this, uh, this lion and the gazelle situation, and I have a picture. And uh, the gazelle is, they run in packs together, but some of you are like, oh, what's going to happen to the little gazelle? Is he going to show a second picture of the gazelle in his mouth? Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the, 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 they travel in packs, if you will, and what happens is, is lions, they're not going to attack the pack. They're going to attack the wandering gazelle, if you will, the one that's kind of just by himself wandering outside the pack, got his head down, eating some grass and just, just kind of doing his own thing over here. And he finds himself when he looks up, he looks up and the pack's over there and he's, he's separated from the pack. Well, the lion's not looking for the pack. The lion's looking for the one. The lion's looking for the one that's isolated. Why? Because he then becomes vulnerable. When he's by himself, He's vulnerable. He becomes, he becomes where there's no, there's no protection. There's, there's no one that can come alongside and, and, and put back to back, if you will, and, 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 and come against the lion, if you will, based on a pack. And, and a lot of times we have to understand that this gazelle is going to get eaten. That's all there is to it. That this gazelle cannot run, outrun this lion. That this gazelle, this is the last days of his life. He's over. It's because he lived in isolation. He decided to disconnect himself from the pack. And I really believe today that as the body of Christ and as Christians and Christ followers and just human beings in general, that when you're isolated and you're disconnected from the body of Christ, the enemy does his best work when you're separated. He'll start to put things in your mind about the church. He'll start putting things in your mind about your relationship with God. He'll start to convince you when you're by yourself in your darkest moments, he's gonna start to convince you that you have all this stuff wrong with you. He's gonna start to convince you that, that, that you're no good and, and you're not gonna make it, and, and he's gonna start to put uh, thoughts in your mind when you're by yourself. Why? Because that's where he does his best work, is in a place of isolation. Something about being isolated from the pack that creates a vulnerability, if you will. And and we have to understand that that one way we're defeated is when the enemy isolates us. And this is a big epidemic in our country. This is a problem in our nation. This is a problem even within churches that you can sit in such a large crowd and feel totally alone. You can walk in here and say, God bless you, amen, thank you, it's Sunday. But in here, you're completely disconnected. You're completely disconnected at the heart level. You might might have acquaintances in your life, but you don't have anybody really that you can go into the deep things of God and the deep areas of your life that allows you to live in this place of transformation. And so the enemy wants to isolate us. He wants us to feel that we are disconnected. And I'm gonna use a character in the scripture today by the name of Elijah. Elijah was a powerful prophet in the book of 1 Kings, and uh, this dude was powerful, man. He called fire down from heaven, and, and he did about nine miracles or so is what he did. And God just did some crazy stuff through this prophet Elijah. But he was also a man that was running from a woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel was a woman that, that he, had, he had, so Elijah had uh, killed the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. And there's a radical thing, God shows up and he, you know, Elijah just torments. he puts a di- he makes a ditch and he says, the God that comes and licks up the water by fire, let him be God, and God shows up and all the prophets of Baal die and Elijah leaves with a victory. But in the very next chapter, after a great victory, Elijah finds himself getting a message uh, from Ahab that Jezebel has heard about this, this thing that he killed the prophets of Baal. And it says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now this is key, this next point. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. See, Elijah had had this great victory and then Elijah begins to isolate himself and the enemy of that day of his in the physical was Jezebel and it says she sent a messenger. Did you know majority of the things that you're dealing with comes through the form of a message? That the things in your mind, the message that comes through your mind, the enemy comes with a message in your mind. He comes with a message, and he, and he brings these thoughts and these ideas, and it says this, to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, I'm going to kill you. He sends this messenger to him, and then he says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, he, this woman sends a message, and Elijah, who had just killed the prophets of Baal, thousands of them, hears a message from the right person and begins to run for his life. He All of a sudden, something happened on the inside of him that created this fear in him, and he begins to run for his life. Then it says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. I want, to know, I want you to know what he did. Notice what it says. In Judah, he left his servant there. In other words, he disconnected from the person that he was walking with. In other words, he went into this place of isolation. He left his servant there. So why he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he begins to walk in this place called the wilderness by himself. And it says this, he came to a broom bush. I ain't got any idea what that broom bush looks like. But it says, he sat down under it, and listen to what he says, he prayed that he might die. He comes, God, God had just done an amazing thing in his life in 1 first, uh, first Kings 18. God used him to do powerful things. And then all of a sudden, he gets the message from the enemy that creates a fear in him, that he begins to run away, he leaves the connections of human, of his, of his servant, and he takes a day's journey into the wilderness where the enemy begins to speak to him. So I'm gonna bring out four things, think I'm gonna give you four things that made Elijah discouraged and emotionally drained, and then I'm gonna give you a way out today. Come on, somebody, look at your neighbor and say, you got a way out. Come on, look at your other neighbor that was your second choice and say, there's a way out. Here's four things that I learned through this passage of dealing with Elijah being discouraged and how he got himself to a place where he's emotionally drained. You ever been there? Have you ever been that place where it's just overwhelming to where you're extremely discouraged and you're emotionally drained? I've been there, Pastor in this church for 12 years. There's been moments where it's, it's been emotionally draining. It's been, it's been psychologically tormenting at times pastoring a church. So how, wh- what was it that, that made Elijah discouraged and emotionally drained? Number one was his faulty thinking. His faulty thinking. He begins to complain in God's direction. Here's what begins to happen. He, he thinks, he begins to say that he's the only one left, but he left his servant. He begins to say that he's the only one that's left, and and he's afraid for his life, and he doesn't think God can defend him. He begins to compare himself. See, he begins to deal with this realm of thinking. It's a faulty thinking that the enemy uses in our life. And listen, long before your problem manifests on the outside, it first manifests on the inside. And it starts in your thinking. Elijah was discouraged and he was emotionally drained and he was in isolation because of the way he thought. The way he thought, and so you have to begin to understand today that you have to deal with your your thoughts in seed form, in seed form. Thoughts are gonna come, the enemy's gonna bring thoughts and he's gonna come and he's gonna speak to you. I remember a clear moment when we were at the junior high and I just preached and I'd shared the word of God and I got off the stage and I heard these words. They're not coming back. And as I'm walking to my car by myself, I'm walking to my car, I'm hearing these things that I had just spoken. And, he, and, and the enemy began to say, you offended people. He begins to say things into my mind. By the time I got to the car, that he had done, he had done put so many thoughts from just a short walk from the platform to my car. That he had just put these thoughts in there about uh, being illegitimate and, 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 and wasn't worthy and you was a failure and, and you've destroyed this and things you've said, they're never gonna come back and they don't believe in this vision and, and by, that's all happening by the time I get to the car. I know you think that, that we, oh, is, oh when we have a great service and blah, blah, blah. There's a devil loose. And so by the time I got to the car, I had to make a choice. I could believe the faulty thinking Or I could get in my car, come on somebody, the car's my sanctuary because I'm in it all the time. And I get in the car and I turn on some music, and not this lullaby music, I had to have some warfare music in that moment. I had to have some music that God was going to shift my thinking in that moment and I had to make a decision that I wasn't going to live and I wasn't going to quit. I wasn't going to stop because of what the enemy said. I wasn't going to allow faulty thinking to win. So I went in my car and I turned up my music as loud as I could. And I just began to praise the Lord. And I began to cast down those thoughts. Come on, somebody. And as, the, as I began to praise the Lord, those thoughts broke off my life. I know, almost, I know folks think pastors are superhuman and Superman. I'm not even close to that. Dear God, I'm like Clark Kent. I need a phone booth every once in a while. Come on, somebody. you got to deal with your thoughts in seed form. The longer you entertain them, the more strength they will gain over your life. Have you ever heard of the word uh, uh, ruminating? I heard this word this week, ruminating. It, it literally means to fix your attention on everything that is wrong. That's one of the definitions. It literally means from a goat to chew the cud. And, and that's what we do with our thoughts. We're like a goat. You ever seen a goat? <laughs> I'm not. I'm more like a gal. praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's gonna mess with my thoughts when we leave today. I'm just joking, I'm joking. <laughs> you chew the cud, and it's your ruminate, you're constantly muttering those thoughts and those, those things that the enemy brings into your mind. And I got good news for you today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this. says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power. Come on, that's what happened in my car that day. I didn't allow the enemy to put a seed in me that would grow into a root system that would cause me to quit. And here's what it says. He says, he's given you divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And this is my favorite part of this passage. He says, and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You ever had to punish your children? Discipline them? You ever spank them on the rear end? Oh, pastor, we don't spank in our house. That's a whole nother message, praise the Lord. He says that you punish it that you make it obey. And that's what I did in the car that day. I didn't let that thought sit in there. I, I punished it with God's word and with worship. And, and I didn't let it sit there. I didn't let the, the, the faulty thinking become a tree in my brain and a stronghold and a walled city, but I punished it with God's word. And he says, you're to do that with every thought that comes from the enemy. Another great passage is in Philippians chapter four, verse four through eight. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. He says, I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord's coming soon. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which, ex- which exceeds anything we can understand. Notice the progression. Peace comes after you pray, not before. Let me keep moving. He says, that this peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse eight says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. So he's about to tell them, this is it. This is the key to life. He says, fix your thoughts. And he tells you what to fix them on. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing then the God of peace will be with you. He says, peace comes through fixing your thoughts. He says, fix your thoughts on things that are true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, and and think upon the things of God. And he says, that's when peace begins to happen. So you can either fix your thoughts, or you can be like Elijah and live with faulty thinking. Number two is he found himself, again, in isolation. In isolation. It says that he left his servant There, in other words, he thinks he can do it alone. We have this mindset in our culture where we think we're bent to be, where we're we're made to do things by ourselves. I wanna achieve success, if you will, all alone. Did you realize that that is certainly far from the truth? That you cannot achieve true success without relationships with other people? That it takes relationships everywhere you go and in community to achieve success in your life. See, he thinks he can do it alone, but the further he gets into isolation, the worse it gets. The more he gets away from that person and that servant, the worse it gets. Listen, I really believe today that there are people in this room that are wondering like the gazelle. You're wondering in isolation, you've left the pack, and I want you to know you're in dangerous territory. But the nice thing about our God is he's our shepherd, and what a shepherd does is a shepherd comes and he sees a sheep wandering outside of the pen in the pack. Come on, somebody. What he does is he goes out there and he takes that sheep. He leaves the 99 that's safe and in the pen and he goes and finds the one. And he goes and looks for the one is what the Bible says and the, the shepherds have a, a shepherd's hook or a, sh- a shepherd's staff. One end is, is, is just a solid pole. On the other end, it's a, it's a, it, it looks like a candy cane. Come on, somebody. And that, that candy cane at, on the end of that shepherd's rod, it's just a solid piece of wood, and he uses that to beat the wolves off the sheep. Then, what he does with the hook piece is he goes out, he says, My word will be a rod unto you. And he takes that hooked piece of the shepherd's rod, and he takes it around the sheep, and he pulls the sheep back into the fold. He doesn't condemn the sheep for being out of place. He takes the sheep and he gently leads them beside still waters, according to Psalm 23, that he wants to lead you back into that place of connection. Church, real life church, we as a church, if we see people wandering in an isolation, we can't leave them alone. We can't leave anyone alone. We can't let people just wander off and do what they want to do. We can't just let them leave. We can't, we can't just let them wander. Come on, somebody. If you're connected here at our church, we can't let people wander. We gotta get them when they're in that place of isolation because that's where the enemy's gonna get them. We gotta get them. We gotta pull the shepherd uh, hook of God's word and bring them back into the fold. Number three is this He was driven by feelings. If there's anything this generation needs to understand, and when I say this generation, I'm not talking about just young, I'm talking about everything that encompasses this generation, is that we're driven by feelings. Elijah was driven by feelings in this moment. He had had a great victory. One chapter before, God delivers him. But instead of choosing to believe facts about what God did and and walk in faith, he chose to be driven by his feelings. Elijah li- lived in this place, and, and listen, some of you make excuses for your feelings. You know, you prop them up in your life, and you let them lead you, and then you, you, you said, I'm a, I'm a feelings person. I'm, I'm driven by my feelings. Well, you're driven by the wrong thing, because your feelings is ebbs and flows. It's up and down. One day, you're like, ah, I'm so excited to be alive, and the next day, you're like, oh, God put me under the broom bush. Your feelings are up and down every day. One minute you're sad and one minute you're happy and and one minute you can't appreciate stuff and the next minute you can and one minute you're celebrating and one minute you're not. It's like their feelings, that's the way we live. And it's consistent. We have to understand that if we're gonna walk with God in community and out of isolation, you can't prop up your feelings. You can't make them an altar in your life, if you will. You have to begin to look at God's kindness to you. Listen, this is the most kind thing God said in his scripture. Ready? 1 Kings 19. This is Elijah. He's under the, the bush. He fell asleep. How many? this is the, I was, when I was reading this, I thought to myself, God didn't want him to be driven by feelings, but this is one of the kindest things. God's kindness towards him. Listen to this. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Come on. How many know that's the kindest thing God could say to you? I was getting. I got texts last week from a family in our church, and went to Canes because I mentioned Canes. Come on, somebody. And I saw some of you out in front of Chick Fil A, where they're doing the construction. You were out there with your picket sign. My pastor said, "Hurry up." Here's here's the deal: is he tells them get up and eat. He doesn't say get up and continue the mission. He doesn't say, get up and do this and do that. What's he say? Get up and eat. He looked around and there was by his head some bread baked over hot coals. Come on, somebody. There it is. He wakes up and there's bread, fresh bread. And that's a picture of God's word. And then he says, "In a jar of water, which represents the Holy Spirit. So he wakes and he says, he ate and drank and then he laid down again. This is the kindest thing God could do. He said, wake up, I got fresh bread. You don't even have to cook it. Eat the bread, drink the water and take a nap. Look at your neighbor and say, take a nap. Listen to me, your feelings win when you run yourself into the ground. Let me tell you this, your feelings win when you run yourself into the ground. God's patient at this moment with Elijah. He doesn't give him instructions about the journey, the mission, he gives him rest. Some of you are emotionally fatigued. You're physically Fatigued, And when you're tired, your feelings will win. It will, your feelings will destroy you. They destroy your relationships. They don't allow you to walk in the things that God has for your life. You say things you regret, you don't process well, and most importantly, you're irritable. Come on, you know I'm telling the truth today. You just don't wanna look at your neighbor. You're irritable. Why? Because when you run yourself ragged, and you get yourself into a place where you're not resting, why didn't God tell him, hey, get up and continue the mission? Because the things that was going to fix his feelings was rest. Psalm 127, verse 2 says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. All of you are going to have a great Sunday nap today in Jesus' name (laughs) while we're canoeing, praise the Lord. Number, number four is this, and I'm going to give you the way out of this, is comparison. Another word for comparison is the word envy. First Kings 19.10, this is how, again, this is how he got himself into a place of discouragement. How he got himself into a place of exhaustion was through comparison and envy. First Kings 19.10 says, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Again, listen to what he's saying. I've been very zealous. and I've been working really hard. And he says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. So now all of a sudden he starts to compare himself to other, the other Israelites. Torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. In other words, he's, he's communicating a comparison. I'm not like them. I'm completely different and guess what? I'm the only one left. See, envy is this. Envy is a mingling of a desire for something with the resentment that another is enjoying it and you're not. That's what comparison and envy is. It is is mingling of a desire for something with the resentment that another is enjoying it and you are not. See, things aren't going well for those that live in that place of comparison or envy. Things aren't going well for you, but things are going well for them and it just bothers you. Like, you live in that place and you're constantly worried about what everybody else is experiencing. See, the root of comparison is envy. And there is no win in comparison. This created an exhaustion and a thought pattern in Elijah's life that caused him to want to take his own life. It produces inferiority or superiority or insecurity and pride in you. Comparison does. It, it produces anger towards God and, and people. It, it opens the door to envy, and, or it's the enemy and confusion in your life. James 3.16 says, for where there is envy and comparison and selfish ambition, there you find disorder or confusion and every evil practice is in operation. So he says that about you, if you live in that place of envy, and you live in that place of confusion, and there's strife and discord and envy all around you, there's probably a lot of evil happening around your life. That's what it does, it brings confusion, it brings, it brings that enemy in. Galatians 1.10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? This is comparison. And I think we live in a culture where that is, where we live in this place. And it's exhausting to compare yourself. It's it's exhausting to not be able to rejoice with somebody else that's rejoicing. It's exhausting to, to look at that mom and say, man, they're an amazing mom. Here, Listen, ladies, she's only showing you the highlight reel. She's ready to pull her hair out just like you are. She's only showing you. There's my family. If she really put the pictures in and be like, ah, ah, ah. It says this. Why am I trying to win the approval of human beings or God or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I will try, still try pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, your lordship is determined by you either serve humans or you serve God. You either please God or you please humans. That's determine your lordship because he says you won't be a servant of Christ. So how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this crazy mess that I just created? Right? How do we get out of this? This 1 Kings 19, 19 says this. So Elijah went from there, and listen to these words, found Elisha. The first thing you're gonna have to do to get out of discouragement, isolation, uh, of of depression, he says this, he found Elisha. It's not hard, it's really simple. He left his servant and he went through this process to then it said he found Elisha. In other words, you need to find a friend. You need to find a friend. You're like, pastor, that's not very spiritual. Oh, it's very spiritual. Because listen, I can tell you today that most of you in this room cannot tell me the last 10 sermons that you've heard. None of you can, and if you can, then you got problems, (laughs) but I can tell you this, you can tell me who's impacted your life. You can tell me the people that has made significant difference in your life. You can't remember the sermons, but you can remember the people. Why? Because we were created for community, imagine a group of rock climbers embarking on a challenging ascent up a towering mountain. Each climber is equipped with climbing gear, including sturdy ropes and, and hooks. The climb is filled with steep cliffs and narrow ledges and unpredictable weather. There's a group of guys that are going to climb this mountain. And as they ascend, the climbers realize that they must work together as a team to safely reach the summit. They tie themselves together with a strong rope creating a chain that connects them all. The chain is their, this chain is their lifeline, ensuring that if one climber slips or stumbles, the others can support and stabilize them. Throughout their journey, the climbers face numerous obstacles. Sometimes the path is obscured with thick fog and they must rely on the guidance of their companions. Other times a sudden storm unleashes its fury and testing their endurance and faith and their equipment in each other. At one particular challenging section, one of the climbers loses their footing and begins to slip. Fear and panic grip the climber, but before they can fall far, the strength of the chain comes into play. Their fellow climbers hold firm using their combined strength to prevent a disaster. They encourage and reassure their struggling companion Providing the support needed to regain their footing and continue the climb as they finally reach the summit, they're breathless. Not just from the physical exertion, but also from the awe-inspiring view before them, they realize that the journey, though difficult, was made possible because of the unbreakable chain that bound them together. Who are you tied to? Who are you tied to today? When you're starting to slip in this thing called life, who is the people that has, has a rope and a, and a security around you that when your foot begins to slip, no, oh, the strength of everybody else keeps you? Who's your friends? It's an old saying, but I'll say it anyway. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Who's a friend? We need people that we can connect our lives to. The second thing I think in this secret sauce message today is that we need to experience the power and presence of God again. We not only need a friend to come out of this this funk and this depression and this discouragement and and this isolation, but we need to experience the power and the presence of God. And God told me this week, he said, Jason, something is shifting in this next season and we have to be full of the spirit of God. Listen to me very closely when I say this. You can go all the way back to 2019. The last message I preached on was the message called Behold. And it was a prophetic message to our church, not knowing what was coming in just three months. I want you to hear me. I feel the same weight on this prophetic message today. It's this, be connected, experience the presence of God. And listen, listen, listen. He says that something is shifting in this next season and we have to be full of the spirit of God. This next, this generation needs the power and the presence of God, not a warmed over religion, putting God in a box kind of relationship, but a full blown move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit more than ever. This generation isn't hungry anymore for for pizza parties and and games and, and, and our best nights are in worship nights. When we're worshiping God together, see this generation, our total generation, young and old and middle-aged and everybody in this room, I want you to understand every one of us need an encounter again with the power and the presence of God. Listen, because it's the power and the presence of God that breaks off everything that you've been experiencing. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about experiencing Jesus through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. He lives there. He wants to lead you and guide you and, and walk with you through life's difficulties. And as you allow him to do that and you experience him, listen, this will drive you into my last point. See, we need a friend to, to, to break out of this and we need to experience the power and the presence of God. We need God to fill us again, church. We got too many Christians walking around with empty lampstands, if you will. No oil in their lamp. And the bridegroom's coming. And the Bible says that there's some that went out in Matthew chapter 24 that went out to find, try to find the oil and they missed the bridegroom. Bible says we need to have our wicks trimmed and we need to be full of God. You're like, pastor, what's that mean? That means you're gonna have to get off the entertainment. You're gonna have to stop being driven by the world and you're gonna have to find your prayer place again. You're gonna have to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to come and do something in your life. He, it, and, and you gotta let him lead you. You gotta let him fill you. And listen, listen. When God came into my bedroom in May of 1994, I wasn't a church boy. I was lost. I was an addict. Dysfunction as a family growing up. It wasn't somebody convincing me that Jesus was real. It wasn't me giving me three steps to how to find Jesus. It was me in desperation of the place of isolation, suicide, addiction, all those things that came against me in that moment as a high schooler, as a kid, and as my senior year, it was was those things that drove me to the point to where the only thing I knew to do was to call on the name of Jesus. In May of 1994, when I bowed my knee in my bedside after in a drunkard stoop, in 10 minutes, the Holy Spirit comes into my bedroom and he comes in a way and he sets me free. Holy Spirit detox me and in 10 minutes, alcohol, drugs, nothing's ever touched these lips since 1994. But it wasn't me trying to be convinced that he could do it. It was him coming in because it was a, it was a reaction to my desperation, if you will. It was all of heaven saying, Jason is crying out in this moment, so we must move on his behalf. And I experienced the presence and the power of God and I've never been the same again. A touch from heaven, a daily encounter with Jesus. What does Monday morning look like for you? Do you roll over and see what the latest Facebook post is? Listen, we need to retrain our brains. We need to retrain our habits. Do we spend hours looking at it? Do we have to retrain ourselves to where Jesus is most important? That when we get up in the morning, we find a Bible plan or we read our Bibles in the morning, we're spending time with the Lord. We we want want His plan for our life. Every day, a daily encounter with Him. And out of that comes me not having to convince you to do your purpose. As a pastor, the greatest thing that we have to do is to convince you that there's a lost world. And that God's team is you. God's A-team is you and then he's gonna use you to reach them. But I can't convince you of that anymore. I've, I've preached that till I'm blue in the face. There's a lost world out there, there's people going to hell, blah, blah, blah. I could do that all day long. But if you haven't had an encounter that drives you to understand that there is a lost world that needs what you got, you're just gonna to continue to come to church. See, because number two drives you into number three, which is to discover your purpose and direction for your life. It says this, Elijah, listen to this passage. First Kings 19, I'm closing right here. First Kings 19, 15, 16. Elijah goes through this entire process. First Kings 18, he destroys the prophets of Baal. He gets a message from Jezebel that says, I'm gonna kill you. He runs in fear for his life. He separates himself, he leaves his servant, He begins to walk into the wilderness, a day's journey, allows the enemy to beat his brains out for a while. God comes in and says, take a nap, eat some bread and have some water. In other words, it's the word and the spirit in this moment. And all of a sudden he gets this rest and God says, I want you to go back to a place and there there'll be a widow that's going to perform a miracle. Like I'm going to perform a miracle in this widow's life. And he gets there and there's this widow. This is, you just keep reading. She's got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And she said, this is all I got. And this is it. And I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna bake a cake for me and my son and this is all we got. We're gonna die after this. And wouldn't it be just like a chicken eating preacher? Elijah says, make me a cake first. Come on somebody. He says, make me a cake first. In other words, he says, go ahead and make me the cake. Put God first and watch what happens. He, they put God first, the oils ran over, the barrels ran over, they had enough meal and that just, God just blessed in this moment. But here's what I want you to understand. The place that he told him to go where the miracle would happen was Jezebel's hometown. <laughs> the thing he was running from, he eventually had to confront. God brought him full circle all the way back to the thing that he was running from. And he had to confront it. But listen to what happens in 1 Kings 19, it says, God puts his purpose in place. And he says, anoint Hazel, king of Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of, because he was a prophet. They anointed the next generation of prophets. They anointed the next generation of those that would walk in the presence of God. That was his purpose. His purpose was not under the brim tree. His purpose was in anointing the next kings. His, his it was it was to anoint the next kings as a prophet of the nation. In other words, he stepped into his purpose so when he when he found a friend in Elisha and he had an encounter with the presence of God, it drove him into a purpose to anoint the next kings. Listen to me today. You don't have to get eaten by the or by the lion today. There's only one lion that wants your heart and he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And his name is Jesus. And he can, he, he, he can transform you in a way to where everything that you're experiencing mentally today breaks off your life. Let's close our eyes this morning, bow our heads today. I wanna to pray for you. Say, pastor, today, that's me. Every, every characteristic of Elijah is me. I'm living in discouragement. I'm emotionally drained. I live with faulty thinking. I live in that place of isolation. I'm driven by feelings and I compare myself. Well, I'm not gonna call you forward, but I want you to know this today that the presence of God is here. He didn't ask me to preach this message just to preach this message. He didn't ask me to deliver this message just because He wanted me to have another message. No, He delivered this message because there's some of you in this room that are like that gazelle. You're outside the fold, you're not in the fold. And God today wants to take his shepherd's hook and he wants to bring you back in gently by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to encounter your life today. And he wants to encounter your life on Monday. He wants to encounter your life on Tuesday. He wants to encounter your life on Wednesday. And he wants to set you free today. So if you're in this place, you say, Pastor, that's me. Some of those characteristics of Elijah, things that I've been experiencing. Or maybe you're one like me that went to the car and, and the whole long walk, it was nothing but the enemy beating your brains out. And you're going through that on a daily basis. Driven by your feelings, comparing yourself. I'm not good enough. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would encounter you in this moment. It's real, it's peace. It's peace. So if you're in this place, we raise up your hand. Nobody looking around. I want to pray for you. It's it's me. Yeah, I see you. Who else would say that? Yeah, I see your hand. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Holy Spirit, today in the name of Jesus, thank you for being in this room. Thank you for those, Lord, that raised their hand today. The Lord that said they're at this place, Lord, of just isolation, whatever the situation today, Lord, thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, today that the Holy Spirit is moving in this place upon the hearts of your children. And I ask you, Lord, today that, Lord, you would do something magnificent. And I pray today that, God, you would break off those things, Lord, that God, that, that, has, that has plagued them. I pray today, Lord, that you would break off those things that, that have had them in isolation, that you would break off those things, Lord God, that, that has them driven by feelings. And, and Holy Spirit, I thank you today for, for coming in this room in this moment, Lord. Lord, I thank you for healing Lord, I pray for those, God, that that are experiencing this internal pain, this internal hurt. Lord, I pray today in the name of Jesus, I come against confusion of the enemy today that's that's been saturating their lives. And today, Lord Jesus, thank you, Father God, today. Thank you, Father God, today. I pray, Lord, for friendships. I pray, Lord God, today for, 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 for friendships, the power of the Holy Spirit and the purposes of God in their life, Lord. In Jesus' name, if you're in this place today with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know Jesus and you never made him the Lord of your life, maybe you've walked away from God today, you need to come home, you need to make him the Lord of your life, that's where it all starts. You're like, I need to make him the Lord of my life today. Would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. If you say, that's me, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. He's I've walked away from him. I don't know him. And I want to make him the Lord of my life today. Would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you today. There's one one young man in here that raised his hand. Let's all pray together. Let's all pray this out loud today. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to raise from the dead for me. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to make me a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. Do it in my life today, Lord. I make you my Savior, my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for freedom. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.